The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. The Ravens winning multiple games in a row. The fellows recording on a different night. The seasons are changing. So many differences this week on Pod Like a Raven. Late October, as we record, officially chilly in the DC area. Going with that, that light jacket these days. And the Ravens are going with back-to-back wins. This is Antonio Barbera. Coming to you on Monday for Pod Like a Raven. There's so many, so many ch-ch-ch-changes. I don't even know what order we should go in here. But I'm happy to be talking with my friends and talking to all the listeners. After the Ravens actually won two games in a row. They're five and three. Everything's pointing upwards. Ready to make a run. And I'm happy to talk about it with my co-hosts. Starting on the West Coast. We had to wake him up. We had to drag him. We had to drag him here. A little confusion about when to record, which makes sense, because it's a different day. We're doing it on Sunday, recording Sunday evening, after the Ravens played on Thursday night, mixing things up here. Jace Evans. <laughs> Jace, welcome. Uh, it's, gr- it's great to have you. <laughs> Thank you for having me, Antonio. Uh, it's wonderful to be here, as always. Uh, you know, I always, um, I love watching the Ravens, honestly, but sometimes it's great to have a Sunday when they don't play, and you just kind of take stock of where the rest of the NFL was. It's, it was a very weird day uh, in the NFL. Some strange games, some great games, uh, which, you know, it's probably every week, but my, my emotions are not influenced by the Ravens uh, today uh, directly uh, with them having a game. And as for the game they played, I, I'm interested to, to talk to you all about it, to hear what you have to say, because I, I think it was the strangest game of the season. It was truly... A, a tale of two different games, basically. It was as dark as it. I feel like a place I've been in a long time, and also by the end of the game, the best performance I think they had all season. <laughs> so it was just very strange, and it was a good reminder for me that football is a very long game. A lot can happen in 60 minutes of football, and I tried to not tweet as much as I used to because there were takes flying on Twitter Thursday night. Uh, but uh, I try. I kept them to just the text thread to you all. I kept them off Twitter. And in the end, yeah, as we saw, football, it's long. Things can happen. Things can change. And they certainly changed for the better for the Ravens. In the words of Ray Lewis, it's a 60-minute ball game, Jace. So, yeah, things can change. A lot of good points there because, first of all, the game being played on Thursday, I texted the fellas at some point during that day saying that I was just not ready for the um, the emotions of another Ravens game, especially this year's Ravens team, after just a couple of days. And then after the game, then we get to the weekend, and the, the day felt kind of hollow. Uh, you're watching, watching games, not really rooting for, for too many teams, some ugly games this week, for sure, some some bad quarterback play, and it was just weird not having the Ravens mixed, mixed in. And then we'll have another Sunday without them next week, too, with the Monday night game. Anyway, on the East Coast, Tim Horsey. Tim, Thursday... We we know you love primetime Raven games, but uh, how you doing as we uh, as we finish up the weekend here? Yeah, it was it was 
odd, to say the least, of not having a Sunday surrounded by the inevitable dread of the Baltimore Ravens, you know, ruining your life and just putting you into a pit of despair for 60 minutes. Uh, I'm doing well, man. It's We'll get into it, but I, I kind of agree with Jace where I could not – after that game, I was still kind of pissed, but I think it was just like – residue from the first half just still sticking into my brain rather than the actual incredible second half performance because you listen to the friday pods and what have you and now you're listening to pod like a raven on a monday who needs pardon my take or bill simmons right you're right here on the podcast that you actually need to get you through that uh that, that those monday scaries or yeah i guess that's what they're called on monday um but it, w- it was weird because you listen to the friday recaps everywhere it's like oh man the ravens were dominant the ravens really showed ryan Rossillo did a whole uh opening about the the ravens could be the team we're talking about as a super bowl contender in the next five weeks because of the schedule and they really laid it on tampa and i'm sitting here thinking like you know am i am i the one taking crazy pills because i was so upset and then you think about it it's like no it was more of just that first half being absolutely god-awful this is, this is just a long way of saying antonio i'm doing very well because the ravens Put a performance on in that second half that I think every fan, every every pundit, every person that even talks about this team uh, in, in any sort of sense needed to see. Ravens, 27-22. Victors on the road on Thursday night. And we handle these recaps differently every week. We start with Lamar uh, the majority of the time because why not? Uh, sometimes we do good stuff, bad stuff, you know, good, bad, and the ugly. This is, there's never been a week more perfectly designed for us to talk about the first half, maybe quickly or slowly, depending on how this goes, and then pivot to the second half as a whole. Because the first half of this game for the Ravens, first of all, if you had to grade it, Z, uh, you know, F, not low enough, I think Z for this, it had everything. It had, I guess it didn't have turnovers if i remember that's about it that's the only negative that didn't exist for the ravens in the first half abysmal play calling which we will we will get into that in a second i'm sure my whoever co-host whichever co-host speaks first is going to touch on that but abysmal play calling uh no interest in trying to establish the run which i don't know if you've listened to us over the past three and a half years that's something we like to see and that's what this entire offense revolves around uh, so you had that, which was good. You had the not capitalizing on a turnover that you got early. You had the immediately give up a long drive touchdown to an offense that struggled all season. Uh, you had the turnover on downs, inability to convert a short fourth down in the red zone. And then just, just the cherry on top on your last drive, get the field goal blocked. You can't even, you don't even get Justin Tucker. You don't even get to enjoy that, uh, 61-yarder, gets blocked, and then it's halftime. So I'll stop there, guys. Uh, oh, boy. Um, if you went to bed at halftime, you didn't have a good night. Let's just leave it at that, and I'm going to let you guys touch on what you witnessed in the first half of this game. So, yeah, um, <laughs> I was as I mentioned, it was bleak. Uh, this was as negative, I think, not even, like, angry, just, like, sad, I think. Like, it, it truly felt like, oh, this team is going nowhere fast. With, like, all the things you said. And 
the the thing that obviously jumps out that we have to address first is this supposed plan the Ravens had to pass a ton early <laughs> to then hit the run late and tire them out, tire them out so that then you get running success late and. Jace, I'm so just. I was yeah. gonna let you go, but I hit. It, it's. It was too unbelievable for my Harbaugh quote section. It was too absurd to use for the Harbaugh quote. Please continue, please. Yeah. Well, so that was. It. It. It, it screamed. Of course, you know. Last week, uh, the Ravens get the victory. Mark Andrews doesn't have a catch. Their first two uh, passes of the day go to Mark Andrews, and you're like, oh, getting Andrews involved. Like they made a point to do it. And then they just kept passing it, and it just screamed to me like, oh, you know, I say I never pass the ball? Well, how about this? And it was just so ineffective, <laughs> as, as you kind of outlined, Antonio. Lamar's threw it 30 times in the first half. 30 pass attempts to what was officially seven rushing attempts in the first half. In the first half, we should say, where your defense was playing well. <laughs> like, they did give up that early touchdown drive. But then they lock in, and the game is just there for the taking, and you just do, like, nothing with it. I mean, you touched on some of them, but, uh, you know, the, the botched punt, they have two three-and-outs, including one they lost 12 yards on one of the drives. Uh, the most impressive drive of the first half was a 12-play drive that nearly took seven minutes where they gained only 30 yards <laughs> and then punted. Um, that was great. A turnover on downs, where this was where I was... That turnover on downs was as angry as I was all game because Lamar misses a pass on second down. That's an easy throw. And that's, I think, the frustrating part. It's like you're not having success with this passing game <laughs> when you're throwing it 30 times. He, you, he throws it 30 times. He completes 19 passes, but for only 144 yards. So they're averaging 4.8 yards a pass attempt. And you're like, what are we doing here? It, it just felt like they were... Just, like, it was all their worst tendencies from, like, every bad game. I was having flashbacks to last year's Miami game, but somehow this was even more offensively inept than that one. At least they moved the ball early in that game. It was awful. And, uh, yeah, I was as down on the team that, you know, they go for it on fourth down. I'm like, I think it's the right call. They run an awful play. (laughs) And then they just – and the lack of the run just the whole first half was just – baffling considering they weren't making any hay in the passing game I, I think i said they ran it seven times for 27 yards in the first half officially but 30 pass attempts is just insane for a game that they were only ever trailing by you know four points <laughs> the entire first half it just it, it they like abandoned it for no reason and again and we'll get into this tim i want your thoughts they claim that was intentional You know what? It's Sunday night. I'll bleep it. Don't worry. That's bull. That's exactly what that is. I edit this podcast. I can do it. Uh, that is absolutely absurd that they come out here and say, oh, yeah, we're we were trying to tire out a banged up secondary and then we were going to really beat them down in the second half with our run game. No, 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 no. It, you know what? Even if that was your plan, it's a stupid plan. It's the worst plan in the entire... You are one of the best rushing attacks in football. As Nate Tice, the athletic football show, said, you have the queen on the chessboard in Lamar Jackson, the guy that can do everything well, and he does it in a unique way, especially when the running running game is established. And they just don't do it. I'm, I'm looking, I was looking back at my tweets today, uh, and they're all negative, and the Ravens won, which was hilarious. <laughs> uh, let's see. 
these are all just first half. Let's read some of these out. Gus Bus, one time. Greg Roman is just trolling us at this point, right? The Ravens stink. Are the Ravens cursed? I don't, I just don't understand how not once this, this Tampa Bay defense, which by the way, isn't the rushing defense that we all thought it was in the beginning of the year. I think coming into the game, they were ranked 16th against the run. And you just, you have Gus Edwards back, the guy that can fall forward and get four yards almost every single time. And you run it seven times officially in the first half. And then to come out with that BS, look, I, I know, I know. it's Harbaugh-isms. He's never going to tell you anything, whatever. That was one of the most annoying marks of this game where it was just, oh, yeah, no, no, guys, we, we, we totally planned that. We, we, oh, no, we totally meant for that to happen. It's, a, it's, like when, it's like when you forget that there's a test in school and you, like, didn't study. You're like, oh, no, no, I totally remembered about this. I totally remembered. And you're sitting, you're, like, sweating in your chair like, oh, my God, I'm going to get a zero on this. Um, the first half was diabolical. It was... And it was all their own fault, too. Like you said, the defense was playing well enough, and they gave up the long touchdown drive, and you thought, okay, here we go, here we go. And the offense just wasn't giving them help because Greg Roman wants to be galaxy brain. Like, he wants to outsmart everybody with this awesome thing that he just did, even though he just implemented a shovel pass, and the Chiefs have been doing it for three years. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm the smartest guy around, when you could just simply do what you do best. Run that run game with those complex blocking schemes up front. Let Tyler Linderbaum eat, which we will get to in the second half. Let that man tear up every single linebacker and defensive lineman in his path and run your running back right behind him. And that's what they finally did. But the first half, yeah. Look, the best thing I can say about the first half, Jordan Stout was awesome. That guy can punt the football. Really, really cool. And outside of that, yeah, I, I don't – I say I don't have much to say. I have plenty to say. But it was – it was beyond, beyond frustrating because it wasn't just, it wasn't just, you know, oh my God, the Ravens are like, w- w- I can't believe they're going to lose this way. They were shooting themselves in the foot over and over and over again. Like taking the pistol and hitting every toe individually <laughs> as they were going through the first half, making sure that like the nail chipped off a little bit and then take the knuckle. Like it was that, it was that painful to watch because they were doing it to themselves yeah a couple more things here on the first half the at a certain point the ratio of let me get this right pass to run was 32 to God, 7 just why <laughs> why tim we don't don't need it don't like it not good at it and uh so that that didn't work um I also don't didn't think that the team defensively played especially well, given how bad the Bucks' offense has been. You had the Humphrey dropped interception, quite literally floating pass drop, where that was the, the first, I mean, they won this game, but that was the first, like, oh, it's going to be this game, where that's like a toe, as Tim just mentioned. That's one of the toes getting shot off, where you're like, oh, that could have been six the other way, uh, and it doesn't happen. The, the Bucks lost a possession in this game, especially in the first half, off of the muffed punt. So they really didn't even have that many possessions and still scored on two of them with two long drives. The Ravens' defense was doing the like... I mean, it's Brady. We've seen this game a million times with him offensively. You're seeing like two receivers on one side of the ball, and there's one corner there. And so Brady just throws a quick little bubble screen. It's like, oh, he... you know. 
amazing that the Ravens had no plan for that whatsoever. Um, they did that like three or four different times, and then I had a quote somewhere from Herb Street where the Ravens finally defended it, and Herb Street is like, well, the Ravens said, you know, no, no more of those short passes, but it had, it had already happened ten times in, in one half, and all three of us knew that pass was coming a week before the Thursday game. Very, very frustrating. I, I was going to say a miracle that it was only ten to three, but this Bucks offense is bad, and it has been bad essentially all season. So we were fortunate, I guess, that it was only ten to three. Um, and then a second half, where not only did things change, but a second half with a ton of adversity. There was at a certain point, Mark Andrews, Marlon Humphrey, in the locker room, other players in the locker room. Gus Edwards would go to the locker room eventually. I don't know if all three of them were ever in there at the same time. I don't think so. Patrick Queen goes to the sideline at a certain point. He's in the blue tent. Uh, major players getting hurt in the second half, and yet the offense being run efficiently and effectively as it should, the defense getting stops, uh, pressure with four, Tom Brady getting off his spot, and all of a sudden it was a different game, a completely different game, and the Ravens essentially win comfortably with 30 minutes of football, Anything else, guys, on the first half, or do we want to just turn it now to the second half well, and, and how, how the Ravens were able to secure this win? Yeah, it, for me, it just kind of ties together the, the the lack of running in the first half because, you know, obviously, as you just said, they they switch, they flip the switch, they, they start to run in the second half, and it leads to their best 30 minutes of football of the entire season. They score on every drive in the second half uh, that they have before they kneel it out. It, it was just, like, incredible. And I know, like... Their I, their plan, quote unquote, was to tire him out. But I look at this: twenty six rush attempts, two hundred and four yards in the second half. Lamar eight for eight passing, ninety four yards, two TDs. Uh, I look at that and I say, this is what your offense looks like when it's operating at maximum efficiency. This is what the Ravens can be all the time. And to me, it's just if you come out and you just run the ball, you know. 48 times in this game or whatever, just double the attempts, rush just as much in the first half. The Ravens win this game by 30 points because they, the Bucks had no answer for it. And I just don't, I just didn't understand after watching that. I guess if I can leave a win with frustration, it's, it's why, why didn't we just do that in the first half? Cause I think they would have tired him out anyway. And I think there's, you know, part of it, I think is Harbaugh not wanting to throw Greg Roman under the bus, insisting this was the plan. But I think there were enough player quotes that suggest that, uh, you know, they were kind of tired of the crap too in the first half. Uh, you know, Jeff Saria points out Morgan Moses was seen repeatedly like imploring coaches to keep running the ball. Uh, in the in the second half when when they're rolling, and you know that I think that speaks volumes. A veteran guy, uh, so this is what he had to say: Shoot, playing for so long, you get a rhythm of the game, and you kind of get a feeling of the guys across from you, and you know when it's time for them to tap out. That was me just feeling out the game, feeling the D lineman like, "Hey, man, this is an opportunity where we could take advantage of it," and I think we executed it well. The players know what they do best, and this it was clearly. You know, Lamar's perfect passing in the second half. The team runs for over 200 yards in the second half. This was the, the, um, the yeah, the Ravens operating at peak efficiency on the offensive side. And then the other Pat Ricard quote kind of just tied into this, uh, why I was dubious that this was the plan. And if it was the plan, why it was an awful plan, was Pat Ricard had this to say, quote, 
uh, of, of passing away more in the first half. Quote, that was kind of the idea, and I guess it's kind of what happened at the end of the day in terms of the pass opening up the run. He said, we passed the ball a lot more than we normally do. The second half, we were able to run the ball. I don't think anybody was freaking out or blinking an eye like, oh my god, we don't have our best players. Guys just knew you have to play. Just step up. Run the plays that were called and do your best. And, like, <laughs> to me, that, that those, you know, two of your veteran offensive blocking players, uh, I, I, I think uh, at least hinted that they were a little confused by the game plan as well. So, you know, it left me a little exasperated even more in the, in, in hindsight, thinking about that first half, given what we saw in the second half. But I will say it was a great performance. And if this was like the wake-up call, that first half was the wake-up call they needed. Or if this is a sign of things to come, great. Because I think if the Ravens certainly play like that in the second half, they're going to be hard to beat for a lot of teams. Barry teams. Just unrelenting, physical, aggressive, mean football. That is all we ask as Ravens fans. That is all we've ever asked for. Usually it's on defense, get 10 points, win the game, what have you. And yeah, you have a special guy at quarterback, but he's special because of the way he affects the run game even more than the passing game. The way he is a weapon with the ball in his hands, and you never know when he's going to take it himself and dart out, which creates running lanes for running backs. It makes assignments easier for offensive linemen. This isn't like... Yeah, football's a hard game, and I get it. And, like, look, any if we sat down with Greg Roman, as much crap as we give him on this podcast, if we sat down with him, we would leave that being like, holy crap, I know nothing about this sport. And I'm fully willing to accept that. But it's sometimes these guys think they're smarter than everybody on earth, or they they think they have some sort of genius plan that their ego can't, and they're, they can't, get in touch with their ego to the point where it's like this is definitely right and you just watch that first half man and you're just like what are you doing and then to transition to the second half because please god i can't talk about it anymore it's 26 rush attempts for 204 yards and it is mean it is morgan moses like you said jace i'm glad you pointed it out because i was going to screaming at the sideline run the damn ball like that's all they needed to do to wear out this bucks team to take them out, what is it, three straight possessions of touchdowns, I believe, as well. Lamar does his job eight for eight. Then you allow your, your weaker is the wrong term, but reserve weapons because the likes of Andrews and Bateman are out. Isaiah Likely, welcome to the party. He shows up because he, he can't be covered as much because they're so worried about the run game. You let your first round rookie at center you do the zone blocking schemes, the thing that he's good with, take a step to the right and find the guy that you need to maul, and he's eating Levante David over and over and over again. Devin White, who's supposed to be this missile, doesn't have a sniff of the ball because Linderbaum and the rest of them are going after him. They're attacking him. They're not stepping back in pass protection. They're going after him and making sure that he's on his butt. It was it was perfect Ravens offensive football and it's what this team is good at i don't give i'm trying i'm trying really really hard here i don't give a snuff what any expert or any skip bayless type says on a monday morning well you know the ravens only passed it 12 times and uh, do we know if lamar is an elite quarterback that's next on first take 
Who cares? You win a football game like this, this is what the Ravens want every single time. You know what you're going to win in January when you have to go up to Buffalo or you have to go into a cold Kansas City? You run it down their throat because that is what you are good at and that is what this offense is built for. Don't overcomplicate it. Yeah, you're going to put in wrinkles here and there to keep people on their toes. That's fine. And that's great. And that's what's needed. But the fact that you... The fact that they did that first half and then went to the second half and it was like, oh yeah, we planned that all along. No, something hits you on your head and you realize what you actually do on this field and you executed it perfectly. And it's, I'm, I'm yelling a lot and it sounds like I'm angry. I'm actually really, really pleased with the second half. It's just so frustrating that like Jay said, it wasn't the entire game. I want this to be the entire season. Like, let's make a rule. The Ravens can't pass on first and second down. That's fine with me because you know what they're going to do? Probably win a lot of football games because they're really good at running the football. And that's how you control this game if you're in Baltimore. If you're in Baltimore. Sorry. Second half drive. No, I love it. And it's right. And it's football's been played for a long time. I don't know, modern passing offenses has, have existed for a long time. I don't know if I've ever heard of the like, yeah, yeah, we're going to soften them up with the pass, and then we'll hit them with the run when they're tired. That, I've never heard that. I don't understand why that would work, uh, as opposed to <laughs> we're going to pound it down their throat, and then when they're tired, they're not going to have a pass rush, and then we'll be able to throw effectively. I've heard that before. I've never heard the opposite. Well, don't yeah, understand it. That's what I, I was like. You know what would make them t- even more tired to defend against the run? If you ran it more earlier in the game. <laughs> Gosh. It's so it's so complicated, but isn't it so simple? <laughs> Second half, drives for the Ravens. Nine plays, 77 yards, touchdown. 11 plays, 80 yards, touchdown. Nine plays, 83 yards, touchdown. And that's the big one to me. We'll go over that one in a minute. Five plays, 49 yards, field goal. And then two plays, negative two yards, end of game. Game over, end of game. The third touchdown that they scored was, they had a, at that point, they had a 17 to 10 lead. They'd scored two touchdowns in a row. Momentum shifting, wow. And all of a sudden, we're running downhill. Uh, Brady actually able to put a drive together and get a field goal to make it 17 13. And that's where we were in that same situation of, are they going to collapse? Are they, you know, can they continue the, the offensive efficiency that they've had? Are they going to keep running the ball? Are they going to panic now that they sense the Bucks with a little bit of momentum? But no. They put a nine-play drive together, five and a half minutes. They drive right down the field. They score another touchdown. They take an 11-point lead. And they, again, get a double-digit lead in a football game. The Ravens are 5-3. and three. They could be 8-0. They've had a double-digit lead in every single game that they have played. This is a good football team. If they just get out of their own way, if they pay attention to their toes, put the safety on the revolver so they don't shoot the toes off one at a time, and they can beat anybody, they can score on anybody. I hate it. It's so frustrating. They go up 24-13. And not to say that the game was over, but it was a statement drive for the game. It was a statement drive for the team. We have complained about this over and over and over again. You know, offense good, defense bad. Offense bad, defense bad. Rarely do you see both things working in tandem. And especially when you need something, you need the drive or you need the stop on one side of the ball or the other. We didn't see it a lot of times in the second half, in the fourth quarter of these games. And this was a drive in the fourth, started in the fourth quarter, um, took, you know, meat out of the fourth, demoralized 
the Bucks and and established a double digit lead, and it was lovely to see. And I I would like to I would like to see more of it, guys. Yeah, th- that drive in particular was impressive, Antonio, just because they only face one third down, and it's the third down they score a touchdown on on a great. I'll give him credit. Great call to run the end round or the the you know jet sweep with Devin Duvernay for the touchdown. He basically goes untouched. Um, and it, it was big too because you know at this point they, Gus Edwards gets hurt on the first um, drive or first play of this drive, which was disheartening. It was like a shot through the heart for me, but because uh, I noticed right away, I was like, oh, he did something on that run, and then you're like, oh, he's up, and then he fell down again and sat on the on the turf, and you're like, oh no, and you're like, they're only up, you know, as you said, they're they're only up four. <laughs> Gus Edwards just got hurt. Uh, but the, you know they were able to regroup and just go down the field and yeah get the 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 scores they needed. I'm still uh, as the group chat can attest a little antsy at the defense for for twice in this game they don't get a stop after they go up ten. They do allow points, but the offense answered the bell like you said, and so that was just really pleasing to see. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, you know, I kind of I kind of mentioned it in the rant that I was half happy, half sad, and half fear, infuriated uh, with this team. They they figured out what worked for them, and they executed. I mean, the, the Isaiah Likely coming up in big, big spots throughout this second half as well. I, I keep mentioning Tyler Linderbaum. Go on Twitter and watch some clips, or if you need some, DM me at Tim Horsey on Twitter, and I will send you all the Tyler Linderbaum uh, football porn. That he that he was doing in that second half, man. Like that guy can just get to the second level. He runs like a tight end that gets up there and just seals guys off. Everything was executed to a T, and it was just for as upset and as angry. It, it was almost an amalgamation of the Ravens' season in a way of like we know what they can be, and that's the second half. But they're usually the first half or some <laughs> version of the first half. Um, that right there, and I'm never gonna I'm never gonna sit here on this podcast and say, well, hopefully that's a turning point now because I feel like I say that all the time with the Ravens and they're just a roller coaster <laughs> that goes up and down constantly. But that right there is just God. I'll just put it this way: God willing, it's not the highlight of the season because we know that is the team, at in all of our minds, that is the team that is supposed to win football games. Even with the defensive issues that Jace mentions, you know, at the, at the very end of the game, Tampa goes on an 11 play, 75 yard drive and makes it a five point game. And I'm hit, sitting here thinking, well, that's the end of the Ravens. They're going to find a way to lose this because the, the defense does tend to and I, they played very well throughout the night, but they tend to give up some big, uh, some big drives, some crucial drives at the end. They've done it our entire lives. It happens. But that right there in that second half was almost like the it was it was peak ravens if that makes any sort of sense and i think that you know hopefully we see a bit more of that in the coming weeks and you never know because the ravens love playing to their competition level they got a pretty easy stretch here coming up so you hope to god that they just say you know what let's just beat up on some of the cupcakes of the nfl by by running the ball Getting off, establishing long drives, not getting into third down and long, second down and long, 
and winning football games the easy way. Now, will that happen? Definitely not. But, you know, one can hope, right? Yeah, I love the concept that this game was, unlike all the other ones, good in the second half. Yeah, right. (laughs) As opposed to (laughs) the Ravens being bad in the second half. So now I'm going to come up with my own, like, ridiculous and fake quote to describe this game. It was good to see Roman and this offense get all the bad plays out of the playbook early in the first half. They chose to do this game. They chose to get the bad plays out of the way in the first half. So then by the second half, all they had left in the playbook was the good ones. And that's how they were able to succeed uh, and get yards and get drives and score points. The touchdown drive that they gave up late in this game didn't even, I don't know, it didn't even bother me because at that they were playing so soft. The point of that drive was if they're going to score, it's going to take them a long time. And I am comfortable in any football game getting to a scenario, like if we could play 17 games and every game is you recover an onside kick and you win the football game, like I'm okay with that because you're going to recover 99.9% of those onside kicks and win those games. So I thought they played it okay. I thought it was visibly clear that they were, everybody was like 10 yards off uh, on most of those plays. You know, you might say that the fourth down was frustrating. Uh, you know, not being able to stop him on fourth down. There was one play where Brady, like, kind of rolled out and then threw to a, a pretty open Julio Jones on the sideline. But there were, like, three defenders in the end zone on the play in front of him. So I, I was okay with it. I kind of got it. They bled the clock down to, you know, under a minute uh, and then and then give up did give up a touchdown. But for the <laughs> defense, I was okay. Okay with their performance overall, yeah. even with that being the case would love of just a few just one of those interceptions uh, that would by yes. general consensus brady could have thrown three that bounced right off raven's defenders hands in various capacities <laughs> would have been nice to have have that uh antonio one thing you said that just the final i think sort of point on this game that is worth wondering and i guess if i have worry moving forward it's like was their injuries to key players the reason they simplified it and just got back to the oh, things they man. do? Mark Andrews goes out, Rashad Bateman gets hurt in this game, uh, and they're like, oh, snap, like our two best pass catchers are Demarcus Robinson and Isaiah Likely. And does that just naturally force you to be like, we have to run this ball? That's my fear, is they when they come out against the Saints and they throw it another 40 times because Mark Andrews is back, and you just go, oh, my God, <laughs> this team is impossible. But I don't know. That's one thing. And then the only other point, I did want to – you know, Tim, you shouted out uh, Linderbaum for those pancakes uh, and uh, just blocks. He he had, obviously, the two highlight reels on Devin White, oh. including a pancake block on him, which was on Lamar's run to start the third quarter. Ravens' defense forced a three and out on the Bucks. Ravens get the ball. Lamar, first play, takes a ball like 20 yards up the middle of the field behind a Linderbaum block where he pancakes Devin White at the end. And Harbaugh said that set the tone. And uh, it really does feel that way. So that was encouraging. But as I said, I... I have at least a kernel of fear that the Ravens uh, will revert and not take the right lessons from this, etc. So I was just curious what you guys thought. James Prochet had three catches in this oh. in this game, so that that should say something to the state of this Ravens offense and its yeah. weapons and what they need to be focusing on. I think it's a very good point, Jace, and it scares me. But I would like them to just look at the results. You know, let's be results oriented here and. Use that recipe against all the two and five and three and four 
teams that they play down the street. I was going to say, Jace, you and I are like-minded, so you know exactly what I think. I had never thought of that point. I heard that point come out of your mouth, and that point is exactly right. They're definitely, as soon as they get all their guys back, what is it? I think it's one game in 23 days or something, this Saints game. So it's like, plenty of time for the Ravens to get healthy. Look out for the Ravens. They've got a weak schedule that they could dominate. And then they're going to throw it 45 times in the first half of each of those games and probably lose them by three. Panthers, home, uh, November 20th. It's after the bye. Trap game. Uh, talk about a trap Circle game. it. Because <laughs> they'll be healthy and thus can't just do their, their simple Ravens successful stuff. All right. Let's move off of this game now. Turn to the random Raven. And Jace is up this week. So, Jace, who do you have for us? Yeah, so this is a fun one uh, from what I view as the golden age of the Ravens. Uh, clue number one. The Ravens signed this player as a free agent in March of 2008. The Tuskegee product, who was originally drafted by the Giants in 2003, spent two years in Baltimore, appearing in 29 games with six starts and appeared in all five playoff games the Ravens played in, which included two more starts for this player. Clue number three, he had two interceptions, 15 pass deflections, two forced fumbles, and 51 tackles across the 2008 and 2009 regular seasons. Clue number four, the defensive back was the most prominent Ravens player to wear number 41 prior to the arrival of Anthony Levine. And then clue number five, the cornerback was at the center of a controversy in 2008 when he was accused of spitting on Pittsburgh Steelers punter Mitch Berger during a confrontation following an extra point. He denied he intentionally spit on Berger, dubbing it a, quote, slobber moment, but then said, yeah, say it, don't spray it. After the kick, he felt like I tried to take his kicker's knee out, and I was just trying to block his kick. So we got a intentional spit contro- <laughs> controversy involving this player in a game against the Steelers. I think I have it, and I think this is one of the stereotypical, and this guy's been a random raven before, so I can say it, Chris Carr types. Where, like, every time that the pass gets completed against him, it's just like, I hate this guy. Get him out of here. I can't stand him. He was like, this guy, if I have the name right, and I don't know how this. I think you're. I don't know how this name. I don't know how this name got into my brain, like, almost immediately when you said the 40. You know what's really scary about, about knowing this much about the Ravens and all this useless knowledge and this skull that, you know could be doing other more important productive things you immediately went 41 and this name just appeared in my head like i don't i've ne- i haven't thought about this person in since what high school and it just all of a sudden it's just there and i think i've got it right but yeah this is a stereotypical oh my god i can't believe this this defensive back get him out of here guy all right we'll have jace read those clues off uh at the end of the show but i do i do like jace it seems you were saying tim's reaction to this type of player being like chris carr you said that se- that sounds seems like he has the right guy yeah i think i think he's on the, on the this right guy path. just got this guy gave up an eight yard pass on every third and seven like every third and seven all right uh let's move now we're gonna try uh harbaugh quotes Again this week, it's not, I don't have a lot to work with. I, w- I wanted, obviously, to use his ridiculous game plan quote, but I knew everybody would have heard it by now, so I didn't mix it in. So it's the, the, the framework's a little different here. Um, two quotes are real. 
One quote is false. I'm going to read them off if you guys have not heard this game before. And my co-hosts try to figure out which of these Harbaugh quotes is inaccurate and, and fabricated by, by myself. All of these came before the game on Thursday. So I'm going to preface that with, with that, and I'm going to read them off uh, one after the other. John Harbaugh on whether Deshaun Jackson will play Thursday night. I don't know. We'll see. Quote number two, John Harbaugh on whether Tyus Bowser will play Thursday night. I don't know. Quote number three, John Harbaugh on whether Rashad Bateman will play Thursday night. We'll see. I don't know. And those are my three quotes this week. All right, all right, all right. So here, From the man, the myth, the legend. Here's the question, John. Jace. Is John Harbaugh more of a just I don't know man? Is he a have to have both I don't know and we'll see man? And then which one does he prefer? <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> this is the hardest one yet. If you, if you need me to go over them again, if they were if it was too much in there, you know, I can read I can read through them again quickly. Just let me I'm going to go I I have a strong strong inclination towards I don't know, we'll see. That I'm cool with that. I I don't know what to because I I'm like he would have been asked about all of them. I feel like so. Like which one? Ooh, did he but maybe say? Harbaugh's more of a definitive. We'll see, and then just kind of shrugs off with the. We'll see. I don't know. <laughs> and just stares at the reporter glaringly, uh, like he just asked about like his mother's health or something. I I think that one actually might be okay. All right. The fake one. Oh, you think it's fake? Yeah. We'll see. I don't know. Yeah. Because okay. it seems less natural. I feel, feel like he's a, yeah, but Harbaugh a lot is, of I don't I know. Think they, I think they send out a cyborg to do these interviews <laughs> when it's not actually John Harbaugh. All right. All right. Fine. We'll stick with it. We'll stick with the original. We'll go. Uh, I think it's answer number one there, Antonio. I don't know. We'll see is the real Harbaugh. Well, there's two. There's two real ones here. Oh, there's one fake and right, two real. Right. right. Sorry. So we need which one is which no, one is you're the right. Fake? So then my apologies. Let's go with the fake. We'll see. I don't know. Number three. All right. Quote number one. John Harbaugh on whether Deshaun Jackson will play Thursday. I don't know. We'll see. That's a real quote that Coach Coach Harbaugh said during the week. Quote number two. John Harbaugh on whether Tyus Bowser will play Thursday. I don't know. End quote. That's a real quote from John Harbaugh. And the fellas, for the first hey, time in, in a few attempts, were correct that the fake quote was, we'll see. I don't know. He did say the other two. We love you, John. Uh, we hate it. We love you. Keep keep it up so we can have more segments like this on this show. The I don't know with no follow-up for Bowser is somehow even funnier than I don't know. We'll see. I hope we got to ask like... them back-to-back. Like, is Deshaun Jackson playing Thursday? I don't know. We'll see. Is Tyus Bowser playing Thursday? I don't know. I genuinely don't know. (laughs) Head coach of the team. Yeah, there's no one who would know more if they're playing than John Harbaugh, in fact. (laughs) In the world, actually. Yeah, so that that was Harbaugh quotes. And hopefully next week I have a few more words, but definitely the same amount of clarity. That was wonderful. Uh, Thank you guys for playing. All right. Let's turn now to the NFL, where I'm going to let my co-hosts really touch on, you know, open segment here. Uh, game you watched, team you like, player you root for, whatever. 
but make sure to include who is the saddest team of the week. Jason, so, why don't we have you go first? I think there's two big nominees uh, for me, and I'll go with the my, my runner-up just because it actually makes me more personally sad. Um, the Detroit Lions. Mm, the Detroit Lions are 1-6. Yeah, yeah. They lost to the Miami Dolphins today in a game they led 14 to nothing, 21 to 7, 24-14, and 27-17 to finish off the first half. They added a field goal and then they never scored again and lost to the Dolphins. Sorry, Jace, uh, was that the Ravens box score? Who, who were you reading there? Oh, the Lions. Yeah, I'm know. sorry. Uh, God, I did give me flashbacks like looking at that box score. I was like, oh, oh God. <laughs> it's like I've seen this against Miami before, but uh, yeah, uh, you know, I think we all like Dan Campbell here. Um, he's four nineteen and one is the head coach of the Lions now, and the Lions are a rebuilding team. They have clear issues. They need a new quarterback, um, but there's talent here, and it's just not good enough. Um, and that's sad. But I think the sadder team is a team that uh, Tim actually, I believe, it was his selection last week. But I think they got sadder this week. It's the New York Jets, yep. and the reason the reason the New York Jets are my saddest team of the week is because. Um, they need a quarterback also because Zach Wilson's just not good. <laughs> he threw three interceptions in uh, Sunday's loss to the Patriots uh, in a game. The Patriots really didn't play all that well in. They couldn't score touchdowns. Mac Jones didn't look great, um, but Wilson just shot him in the foot. He had two just awful interceptions. He had three interceptions total and two of the worst decisions you'll ever see that, um, Devin McCourty, I believe, is the one that's still on the Patriots, uh, picked off, and uh, it was it was just it was just so bad. And you, you leave that game, and, and I'd read he's like completing like fifty percent of his passes as a pro, and it's just clear that he he's not good enough to be a <laughs> starter in the NFL, and that means the Jets have probably whiffed on a you know uh, top four quarterback for the second time in four years. Oh. Uh, and that stinks for their fans. And I think it's even worse because I think the rest of the Jets team's actually pretty good, uh, or at least has the pieces to be good um, long-term. But they need a quarterback, and maybe you're in a better place than when they drafted Wilson because now it is like, hey, if we get a quarterback in, we can win, but that's a lot of teams in the NFL. So the Jets are my saddest team of the week because it appears they're searching again because I just think Zach Wilson's just not, not a good quarterback. Wow. that You know, I never even thought of it to that degree, but I was thinking of the Jets as well. You're right. Like, Zach Wilson just probably isn't the dude, and you're going to give him time to figure it out like they did Baker Mayfield, <laughs> LOL. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that they just are screwed again, and it's, you know, like you said, quarterbacks win leagues. Um Speaking of saddest team of the week, I'll just start with that before talking about a couple other things from the NFL weekend that grabbed me because it relates to finding your quarterback. And it's another roster that was so brilliantly constructed by a wonder GM who drafted a guard in the top half of the uh, top half of a draft and he turned out to be amazing. Now the offensive line sucks. Uh, they got a second round steal in one Shaq Leonard. And that guy just isn't what he used to be. And still a talented team. Still a very talented team. That's now starting Sam Ellinger at quarterback. Because their last three quarterbacks have been two geriatric retirees. And one man who literally couldn't not turn the ball over if his life depended on it in Carson Wentz. If you haven't figured out with all the context clues, that is the Indianapolis Colts. The Andrew Luck retirement 
is something that you know, and I, you know what? Never mind. I have no sympathy for Indy and their ownership and their fan base. Screw them because they took our team. I hope they're miserable forever. I have no sympathy for that team. But the fact that that roster is supposedly so talented and was a quarterback away and has been a quarterback away for three straight years now, um, what are you doing if you're a Colts fan? Like, what are you doing? You you spent first-round draft picks on Carson Wentz. You spent a, not not nothing terrible, but you gave away some capital for Matt Ryan, who you're paying some of his salary as well. It's not like this is a rebuilding team with hope for the future. This is a team that's built to win now and can't win now and ended up starting Sam Ellinger, who, Jace, I mean, you're the college guy, didn't really light it up at Texas. He was just fine. Um, and that's where they're at. Like, Ellinger's going to start <laughs> next week, too. Like, it's not... Matt Ryan is not getting the job back. They have permanently benched Matt Ryan. They just lost 17-16 to the Commanders and Taylor Heineke, who is hilarious um, and is going to keep the Commanders just in a in that same level that they've been at because half the fan base is going to be like, oh, that Heineke guy, he can sling it, put him in. And I just I don't think that they're going to have anything in the tank there. So the Colts, for me, are the saddest team of the week. I just want to shout out, uh, you know, we talked about the Patriots, Jets, easiest bet there. Uh, a couple more, two more games I want to talk about. Panthers-Falcons was incredible, and it's just another lesson in Justin Tucker is the ultimate GOAT and somebody that you need to admire for the rest of time. If you didn't watch uh, Panthers-Falcons, first of all, I don't blame you. Call of Duty just came out this weekend. But what happened in this game was P.J. Walker, God bless him, basically has the Panthers fighting for their lives against the Falcons. I think they had 10 different... 10 scores in this game where the lead alternated. So it was a weird stat that Fox put up, but I appreciate it. Each of the last 10 scores up to up to overtime alternated the score, where it basically made it the other team was leading. So the Panthers score a miraculous touchdown from DJ Moore, uh, catches this uh, bomb, shout out, shout out Terp. But then he celebrates too much. He rips his helmet off. Celebration rule is stupid. We don't have to get into it. But he gets a penalty for over-celebrating. The kicker, who I didn't even have the, you know, it doesn't matter. I'm not going to look up his name. He's not Justin Tucker. I don't care. He shanks the field goal, uh, the extra point, which they take the 15-yard penalty on the extra point. Shanks it right. They get into overtime. They have the opportunity to win the game again. Shanks it left. The Falcons end up winning this game by three. All I'm saying, Justin Tucker, we talk about him all the time, and, and sometimes we don't even talk about him because it's not worth talking about because he just is that good and we recognize that. You, let's admire what we have before it's gone. I'll just put it that way. And then I want to just rant about the Oakland Raiders or the Vegas Raiders. Again, who cares? <laughs> my, my hatred for the Raiders started a couple years ago when they could have won a playoff game. Um against the Ryan Fitzpatrick-led Dolphins. Not a playoff game, excuse me. A game late in the season to guarantee... If they won this game, it guaranteed the Ravens a place in the playoffs. So I'm rooting hard. I think it's like Thanksgiving. I'm rooting hard, hard, hard. Or maybe Christmas, actually, for the Dolphins. Or the the, the Raiders. I'm, I'm all over the place because I just can't stand them. Rooting so hard for the Raiders, and they let me down, and I realized they're a shambolic franchise that I'd never root for again. I sent some tweet out. It wasn't that malicious, but just basically, I hope the Raiders are mediocre for the rest of time because of what they just did to the Ravens. And I had some people that 
from my professional life follow me and basically abuse is too strong of a word but just were super annoying on twitter and from that point on this is a small vindiction i understand i was just like you know what i hate the raiders now done with them just can't stand them anymore it was like two people on twitter that was it and that that's all it takes for me because i'm a psychopath um so this lead up of oh they got Devonte adams but let's not talk about their offensive line or their shambolic defense they might compete in the AFC. Derek Carr, better than you think. They might compete. It was all nonsense. And there were so many people ready to just be like, the Raiders could be the surprise team in the AFC. The Raiders are the team. Look out for the The Raiders are 2-5 and five and just got spanked by Andy Dalton. Just got blanked by the New Orleans Saints in the Superdome, which does terrify me, and we'll get to that a bit later in, in uh, Pod Like a Raven here. I'm tired of the Raiders. I can't. They're, they're done. They're cooked. Josh McDaniels. Josh McDaniels is probably going to be a stellar head coach, even though he was a miserable failure the first time he was there. I'm super done with the Raiders. They're 2-5. and five. Their season is over. Goodbye, all you Vegas fans. Yeah, I think those there's some good candidates for sure. Uh, I'm going to pick the Panthers as well. Because it's sad for me, too, because I had them in my <laughs> sort of, like, spicy, can they just win seven games? And after I thought that was done with at 1-5, and five, they beat the Bucks, and they kind of looked like this team that didn't care that they traded away their best player uh, in McCaffrey, and that they were just going to, you know, whatever, just go out there and maybe just, like, addition by subtraction with the Baker stuff, and they were going to be frisky. And by the way, after that Bucks win... We're a game out of first place in the NFC South, so it's like they're not they don't they shouldn't give up. Like they can just have fun for the rest of the season. And maybe they can win seven games all of a sudden. They're they're the saddest team because I'm sad because they could have stolen this game and gone to three and five, where we would have been in real legitimate contention for a seven and ten season. Um But they didn't do that, even after a even after a Hail Mary. So that's it's Carolina for me, and, and Tim already touched on it enough, so I don't need to get into it. But don't pick bad teams to be good because they will find ways to lose games because they're bad teams. So that's the lesson that I've learned from the Carolina Panthers. I told you about the Panthers. I told you. Let's turn now to a good team, a good franchise, and that's the Baltimore Ravens, the Baltimore Football Ravens. Monday night football, traveling to New Orleans, playing the Saints who, I mean, there's ways to, you know, different ways to slice it, just played their best game of the season, uh, feeling, you know, riding high, everything's great, and I think they're going to be sorely disappointed that the Ravens are not the Raiders and that they're a much better run football team. But before we get into X's and O's of this game, I'm going to ask you to, the NFL trade deadline is approaching. It is November 1st at 4 p.m. This is the last opportunity we will have to talk about it before, uh, obviously, we you know we come back next week to talk about the Saints game. The trade deadline will have passed. So I turn to you guys now. As the team is uh, prepping for this Monday night game, as the week starts, and as they make final decisions on this roster, do they need to make a move? Will they make a move? And who should they make a move for? Any thoughts on this? in the next day or two for this team. I 
You can take it as you will. You can take, you know, you can say, obviously, yes, I want the best. Let's go for Devontae Adams. Let's just get him back from the Raiders after that hasn't really worked out this season. But it can be who you want. It can be what it, what's going to happen and or what's a realistic uh, option for this team based on what we've seen from them in the last 20 years at the deadline. Well, so that's where I'm holding my breath, uh, Antonio. I, I I think they could use a move, as we mentioned. They, it was nice that they were resilient in this in Thursday's game, but when you have injury... I mean, the Andrews thing I'm less concerned about, but... I think he'll be back, but the Bateman thing's a recurring foot problem, and after he has injuries problems last year, too, of course, and he's so clearly your number one receiver, I think it would behoove them to make a move uh, for a receiver. A guy whose name's been bandied about a lot is a guy like Jerry Judy, who's apparently good friends with Lamar. South Florida. I don't know. Schef- I'm holding Schefter my did report that they're not open to trading him, so. Okay, so... Um, yeah, I mean, it's so hard to know. I've seen whispers, you know, on Twitter that the Ravens have been making calls, apparently. Uh, but I'm also fully prepared to get, like, someone's, mo- like, disappointing third receiver for, like, a sixth-round pick. And that be the Ravens acquiring a receiver at the trade deadline uh, move. So, I don't anticipate them doing anything too flashy. I mean, I'd be over the moon if the, if they... You know, if they ship out, like, a second-round pick for Roquan Smith, uh, if we want to look at the other side of the ball, I won't be upset about that either. Um, But uh, I I just don't see them doing anything, even though I think, like, um, it's a good time because they have this time off, you know, a longer week into the bye on trade deadline week, and then, or, uh, yeah, and then your bye. So, as, as Tim said, they only play once in the next 23 days. It's a good time to make a big move if you want to shake it up, but... I just, everything about the entire history of this franchise suggests to me they're not going to do anything major. Yeah, I mean, I agree with Jace. Uh, I think it's, I, I, the weapons thing is so easy, right? Because it, it seems like a glary need. It seems the thing you hear about all the time. I think a Bradley Chubb, who apparently is, is being bandied about. Like, I, I saw... I was watching the uh, the London game this morning on the bottom ticker. It had Schefter reports that Judy and KJ Hamler are not for sale because let Russ cook and all that, I guess. But uh, the likes of a Bradley Chubb are, and the, and the Broncos have received calls. Another pass rusher, a, a game-breaking defensive guy, another corner as well, somebody that could help in the secondary kind of seems like where the Ravens might go and maybe where we where I kind of would want them to because I just don't see it happening with weapon I don't I don't think that you're gonna get a guy that's going to make enough of an impact with what the Ravens would be willing to give up if that makes sense like that that math just doesn't add up. It, it one plus one ain't two in that situation because it's they're not going to give up what's required to give up to get somebody who probably isn't available anyway. So for me, I'll go a little bit more realistic. Give me a another defensive game breaker, uh, you know, Marcus Peters type in some sort of in in impact anyway on how he impacts a game uh, on a Sunday uh, is where I is where I'm going with the trade deadline if anything happens because nothing will. The only name I had thought of that we haven't really touched on 
at wide receiver could be Brandon Cooks because he's on a team. First of all, he's on a team that's going nowhere. They've traded dudes before, and Brandon Cooks has been traded before. Not once, not twice, but three different times. And then I saw that his base salary for the next two years is $18 million for 2023 and $13 million for 2024. That's courtesy of uh, Jeff Zerebeck at The Athletic. That's not going to happen. They're, they're, not, they're not doing that. So he's out, unfortunately. <laughs> and with that being the case, the Ravens will make one move before the deadline, and it's for a player that I might not even have heard of. And they'll trade a conditional seventh for him. And he's a good special teams contributor. Uh, and that'll be the move that is made. Otherwise, I would also lean to nothing big. All right, in terms of this game coming up for the Ravens, Oh boy, I would have loved, would have loved me some Jameis Winston in this game. It could have been the here's a game for the playmakers on defense to to get on track and and get all those turnovers, but it's not. It's the Red Rifle himself, Red Rocket, Red Rifle, something like that. It's Andy Dalton has been leading this team at quarterback for the last couple weeks. We know what Andy Dalton is. We've seen it for enough time. He's 35 years old now, so it's not quite as sharp. It's not quite as accurate. A couple of good throws mixed in with a couple of pick sixes here and there. Let's start with the Ravens defensively against the Saints offensively. What do we expect from Andy Dalton? Tim, I'm going to say it, so this is just a little like, you know, your little warning before I before I actually do say it. Are we going to get, like, you know, eliminate the Ravens from the postseason Andy Dalton prime, or are we getting... The Bears version. Well, I can't even say the Bears version of Andy say, Dalton because he, he, he torched us in two plays also. Yeah, he, he threw two touchdowns and got a lead. <laughs> All right, let me rephrase. I'll rephrase. Can we contain 35-year-old Andy Dalton uh, or is it more about the weapons around him, such as Alvin Kamara getting on track and Taysom Hill doing annoying things that generate first downs? It's them. Kamara, the really big one. Dalton's been pretty good at getting him the ball. Uh and as opposed to, and then uh, Chris Olave has been good too, their rookie wide, uh, wide receiver. Um, Kamara is definitely who concerns me the most. I, I'm with you. I would love to face Jameis. And I guess there's still a chance, but after them, because yeah, he's healthy, I believe, again. But after they shut out the Raiders, I don't see why they would make a QB change at this point. Dalton's not really been their biggest problem. So. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure Dalton's been one of the more <laughs> annoying players for Ravens fans, certainly, over the years. But, uh, yeah, definitely um, being able to tackle Kamara will be great. Obviously, one of the more elusive uh, running backs. Not a blazer, not as the speediest guy, but just a guy that is slippery and does not get taken down easily. And that concerns me with the Ravens linebacker situation. Um and obviously, hopefully, Calais Campbell's back in this game. He didn't play on Thursday due to an illness that I think is personally probably almost certainly COVID, but um, we'll see. Hopefully, he's back uh, for this. Um, and yeah, so I'm con- I'm very concerned about Kamara because I think we know what backs like him uh, have done in the recent past to the Ravens. Yeah. The Taysom Hill thing is oddly scary like it just it shouldn't be but the ravens can't tackle and can't contain a lot of the time and i'm just i'm ready for i, I say i'm ready but then i'm not going to be ready you you guys will be getting furious texts at 10 15 on a monday night about Taysom hill breaking off a 37 yard run because 
Patrick Queen blew by him and missed the assignment, and then Marcus jumped on a pump yeah, fake. And then uh, Marcus uh, Peters yeah. tried to like wrap him at the ankles, and he just jumped over him. And then Geno Stone tries to knock him out of bounds, but doesn't hit him hard enough, so he gets the extra like twelve yards as he's like stumbling out of bounds and dives for you know those extra yards. Yeah. That annoys me. It's the weapons. Alave is is a, the real deal guy. That's why they traded up to get him, and it shows already. Um, I don't think Michael Thomas is going to be available for this game. Um, you know, not really the same dude that he used to be. But, look, I think this is about, and the Ravens' pressure has actually been okay, I feel like, from a fan's point of view in the last couple of weeks. Maybe not sacks, and, you know, I know we always talk about Sack, sack, sacks, and as Jace annoyingly pointed out to us, uh, Matt Judon and Zadari Smith lead the National Football League in sacks to former Ravens, one that was almost the Raven this offseason. So, yeah, that's not infuriating at all. But I feel like this, for the defense, if, if, Andy, if Andy Dalton has time to get the ball to these weapons, it could be a problem. So don't give him the time. Don't let him sit on platform and just make throws. Get him off platform. Get him, get him uncomfortable, and that's how you win these games. Feels like the game where you can see a lot of Kyle Hamilton coming off, coming off the edge uh, instead of in coverage, doing uh, a little bit more blitzing, a little bit more exotic stuff. Uh, I have been pleasantly uh, surprised, I guess, by the pressure that we've gotten with the front four, especially the the geriatrics of the front four. Justin Houston, Justin Houston, two sacks in this game. He is literally becoming like the setup man of this Ravens team. He barely plays. He comes in on obvious passing downs and then is still like getting strikeouts basically in that very specific scenario. The legs are fresh. He's he has all the the skills of being a pass rusher. Obviously, he's got the age to not play an entire game, but they're using him in like good situations. Had back-to-back sacks, I think, in on Brady in, in two obvious like down and distance scenarios. So would like to see some pressure with four. I think they're going to blitz a little bit more in this game to get Dalton, as Tim mentioned, off his spot, uncomfortable. Don't give him time to, to throw those <laughs> throw those bombs uh, beyond our secondary. Um, would love to have had Marcus Williams in this game. That would have been a sweet, like, returns home and definitely has an interception kind of feel to the game, but he's going to still be out for this, unfortunately. Um, offensively. For the Ravens, the Saints are 21st against the run. Do I need to say more? Uh, there's some question marks, obviously, with Gus Edwards. I'm going to go ahead and say John Harbaugh doesn't know if he's going to be playing on Monday, but I don't think he will. I think they're going to be cautious with him and use the fact that the bye comes after this game and give him a whole month to get healthy. So, can the Ravens just run the freaking ball, uh, or is it going to be a struggle without Dobbins or Edwards in the lineup? Yeah, that's that's the big concern um, because I'm with you. I don't think Gus plays this game. Uh, and Kenyon Drake has had his moments. There's going to be a lot of Kenyon Drake based on the stat uh, counts from uh, Thursday's game. Um, so with uh, J.K. still out, obviously. The Raiders only rush for th- managed 38 yards uh, in uh, Sunday's game. Now, they didn't try to run a bunch. They had 13 attempts, only 10 from Josh Jacobs, who'd been on a roll. Um, it does concern me that, you know, the Saints had been one of the... The defense had actually, I think, been more disappointing for the Saints, if you're, you know, judging what's been the most disappointing thing about the Saints entering this week. 
So I don't love, uh, as mentioned, that they they, they pitched the shutout only gave up 183 yards to the Raiders. I do think I agree with Tim. A lot of that stems from the Raiders' own problems, but uh, it would have been great uh, to have the version of the Raiders or of the uh, Saints that gave up 42 points to the Cardinals. Uh, <laughs> I'd feel more confident, but uh, yeah, it's it's I, I have concerns um, that they they maybe found uh, some answers, and the Superdome is obviously always a hard place to play on offense, um, but what they do with the running back situation is going to be interesting. And as we said, hopefully they can remain committed to the run. Cause I do think this line is good. I think that matters. Uh, even though Kenyon Drake, I forget which game it was, I guess against the Browns had an awful game. That was a concern, but I do think on the whole, the Ravens offensive line has been really good. So I hope they remain committed to the run. And that leads, uh, you know, the way to victory. Cause they still got some, some good guys in the back end that could easily pick off Lamar two or three times if things get uh, out of hand. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of talent on this defense, right? I mean, you look, you just look at the names, Demario Davis, Cameron Jordan, um, Marcus Lattimore as well. They've got, they've got dudes on that defensive side of the football. Superdome, prime time, the All Blacks. Like, look, that's, that's the Saints that Sean Payton and Drew Brees built, but they've got that attitude a lot because they've always had – they've had dudes on that defense for a long time. Um, and I think that, you know, it could pose a problem. And I think it's more of, you know, I don't want to wax poetic and ramble nonsense and spit into my microphone like I did earlier in the show. But if the Ravens get too cute and don't stick to their game, this could be a problem. If the first drive comes and they try and run the ball and it's like, oh, no, it was first down and they only gained two yards. We have to pass on every down like that. That could be an issue for the team. Um, and I don't trust the Ravens and their coaching staff on the offensive side of the football, especially enough to not have worries about it. So this is, I think where, you know, I think the defense could and should show out in this game. You know, I think they should be pretty dominant against Andy Dalton, even with the weapons, but I think the offense is where you win this game. Um, I think this, if you can, if you can beat your matchup and you can beat the defensive side of the ball um, for the Saints, I think this is where the Ravens walk away with the win. I love the rest here. I love that they have had the Thursday to a Monday time off, get some guys healthy, get the Andrews situation figured out a little bit. In theory, have more time to prepare for the opponent. I don't know how well that's actually going to work in practice. This game feels to me like the Lamar Jackson on the ground. Not breakout game because he's done it a bunch of times, but I think they're going to struggle on the ground early. I think the Saints are going to key on it, and they got a couple of guys, as Tim just mentioned, who can support the run defense, and that's going to get ugly. And then Lamar's going to make some plays. He's going to break things down. Um, be it passing plays that he scrambles or design runs where he just becomes that extra guy that they can't really uh, account for in the blocking scheme and he turns you know, three-yard openings into 15-yard gains uh, and the Saints crowd starts you know, pulling their hair out. And I don't think Andy Dalton's going to keep up. Uh, that's my sort of overall assessment of this game. I think he ends up making a couple of mistakes. And the Ravens. 
We hate it because it stresses us out and we have all day to get worried about it, but the Ravens, 34-16 and 16 in primetime games since John Harbaugh became coach in 2008. It is the second best record in the NFL over that span. They're playing a 3-5 and five football team. I mean, at a certain point, the weapons for the Saints sh- should have performed better, and they just haven't. So I think it's a team of names uh, rather than a bunch of guys playing for a team. I think some of the guys are a bit you know, on the wrong side of 30, some, some of those names as well, um, and that has impacted them. And I like the Ravens in this game. I, I, I think this is the time. They, they finally sort of eliminated the mistakes enough to get out of their own way a few weeks in a row. They finally got the two wins. They're finally in a little bit of a roll. They have 10 days to prepare. And I like them. Going into New Orleans, um, the line is three and a half. Ravens three and a half point favorites because that half point just has to be there to annoy us. But I'm taking the Ravens anyway. Um, They're very aware of the stretch that they have against weak teams, that this is the part of the season that they're supposed to buckle down and stack wins. Uh, I think they're aware they have the bye after this game. So maybe they can play a couple of guys and try some things knowing that they then have two weeks to make more, you know, make tweaks to the playbook and add, add additions. I think we're going to see some of the Roman goes into his bag a little bit because he has two weeks to then tinker with it after that. Um, yeah, I'm taking the Ravens to, to win this game and to cover that line. I think they win by a touchdown. That's kind of where I'm going to, uh, where I'm going to end up with them in this game. I'm also with you, Antonio. I am picking the Ravens. Uh, Lamar, uh, great performances on Monday night football a lot. Really only kind of a one dud against the Chiefs in 2020, but otherwise, you know, L.A. Rams, 45-6. to I was in the building in 2019. That was a fun one. That wild game against Cleveland in 2020, uh, a game against the Raiders we'd rather not talk about that we were in attendance at, and uh, then last year when he sets his career high in passing against the Colts. Um, so I think he'll show out. I think it'll be a good game for the Ravens. Uh, and, yeah, I think they'll get the win. I, I, think, I think they – Hopeful. My hope is they answered some fundamental truths about what this team is and should be in that game against the Bucks in the second half. And I and I I hope and expect. I think John Harbaugh's a smart guy. They'll carry that forward. So yeah, I'm picking the Ravens as well. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, I'll just go with all my picks here uh, to wrap this up. So last week I lost the Bucks bet, but I did win 49ers and I won Pats as well. And because I keep picking against the Ravens in the last two weeks and they won consecutive games for the first time all season, I'm going Saints plus three and a half. Uh, it's purely just <laughs> to help the Ravens. I, I also think that we'll win by a field goal. And so give, give me the three and a half on the hook. We'll see if that changes. I love Saints four and a half. I love them five and a half. Love them six and a half. Uh, but I'll take them three and a half right now if that keeps going up because all this Ravens buzz, what have you. Uh, and then for my other games here, you know what? No, no, no. I'm going to let you guys go because I will say this. In pre- in in the pre-show, we're talking about our picks, kind of getting set for the show, what have you all on the Zoom. And you both alerted me to two picks that I'm absolutely making. So I'm going to just sit back and I'm going to let you guys go first. And then I have another suggestion towards the end. But I should give you the credit for these because you're the ones who, who found them and I completely agree. All right, I'll take it then, and I'll turn to Jace after. Uh, two and one last week. Won the Ravens pick. Uh, won the Titans pick that, Jace, they tried to steal it from us. 
Uh, I talked about last week that the line didn't make any sense, that the Titans were only one-and-a-half-point favorites against the Texans. And then all of a sudden, Ryan Tannehill got a stomach bug uh, and didn't play. And it still didn't matter. The Titans cover that cover that number with uh, Malik Willis, rookie, rookie quarterback. I think he had six pass completions <laughs> in this game, and they still cover that. So, yeah, Texans, not a good football team. Um, and then I lost the Raiders pick. Boy, was I not on that one uh, with a 24 nothing loss to the Saints. But 2-1 and one for the week. Fellas, 15-10 and 10 on the season. We are riding now. And because of that, I'm adding a pick. I got four picks because I love the slate this week. Ravens, minus 3.5. I already spoke about that. And then there's a couple that I really am interested in here. Seattle Seahawks are getting 3.5 points at the Arizona Cardinals. The Seahawks already beat the Cardinals straight up at home by 10 I don't think the Arizona Cardinals should be getting three and a half points to a winning football team. And the Seattle Seahawks are five and three. Uh, And that's pretty much it. If they lose, maybe they lose by a field goal. Maybe the game gets weird, it goes into overtime, and they're going to cover with that extra half point. Love the Seahawks, plus three and a half. They could very legitimately win that game straight up. I like the Bills, minus ten and a half against the New York Football Jets because Zach Wilson stinks. And you know who doesn't stink? Josh Allen. I have no idea how the Jets keep up with the Bills over four quarters of football without Brees Hall. Uh, 40 to 10, that's kind of the score that I'm seeing for this game for the Bills. So I think they actually covered 10.5 easily. Uh, And then my fourth pick, the Minnesota Vikings are traveling to Washington. The Vikings are only three-point favorites against the Commies. And I, I live in D.C., so I I just had to watch them play. I, I The Ravens were not on, so I just had to watch the Colts and Commanders happen to me for three hours. It was ugly. It was bad. Washington won. They're not good. They can't score. If it's Heineke, they're not going to score 20 points. They're not going to score, whatever, 24 points. You know who can score is the Minnesota Vikings. they got weapons everywhere. Uh, they're kind of on a roll. I think they're 6-1 and one on the season and have won five straight. I think the numbers are right there. They can score, and they're going to outscore Washington, and that's going to be enough. And they win that game something like 30-21, 30-24, and they cover that three. Uh, and I like that pick very much. Four picks this week, shooting for 3-1, and one, uh, you know, to the stars with a 4-0. and oh. But um, I like a couple of these games for sure. I, uh, I'm coming off, Antonio, my first, I believe, 3-0 and week of the season. So I'm feeling Hey-o. good. Uh, I had the Ravens, and I'm taking the Ravens again. I'm also with you on the Vikings for the same reasons. I think the trepidation is just, you know, they haven't looked, like, dominant. But at a certain point, I think you realize there, are, like, aren't dominant teams in the NFL this year that, like, aren't the Bills and maybe the Chiefs. And... Uh, the Vikings are 6-1, so that suggests they're a very good team going against a team that I think is not as good. Playing at home, it's going to be half Minnesota fans probably, as we know. Um, so I, I like that Vikings pick a lot uh, against the Commanders. And then the other one, I'm this is being made with the assumption that Ryan Tannehill returns from his injury and illness-related uh, absence against the Kansas City Chiefs. The Titans are 10.5-point favorites. Um on the road at Arrowhead Stadium. I do not think they will win this game, but the Titans are 5-2. and two. They're the reigning uh, AFC number one seed. Uh, you know, they Derrick Henry's been going off the last few weeks, and no one's talking about it because the Titans keep playing AFC, other AFC South teams, and 
You know, you, you're not uh, in a prominent TV position when that's happening. But today, uh, as we record with Tannehill out, with Willis starting, as you mentioned, his 10 attempts and six completions, uh, they just leaned on Derrick Henry. They gave him the ball 32 times, and he rushed for 219 yards and two TDs. I think he's rolling. I think Rabel's a good coach, and I think they're going to try to shorten the game, and I love their chances of covering. Did I make this exact same gambit? Uh, with the Titans in Buffalo earlier this season, I did, and it went horribly. But that's not going to stop me from doing it again. <laughs> okay, Uh Yeah, I, I love the Vikings pick and the Seahawks pick that you guys have mentioned um, already. And then the other one I'd throw in there is Dolphins, minus three and a half, away to the Chicago Bears. The Chicago Bears just got shellacked uh, in, uh, against the Cowboys. And I know the Dolphins, it wasn't a – incredible win by any stretch of the imagination against the lions only a four point win but the offense looked like it was cooking a bit tyree kill 12 receptions 188 yards jalen waddle two touchdowns there tua looked good as well 29 of 36 for 382 yards for him i think that they just see off uh see off this team and you know make mincemeat of the chicago bears basically and so give me the dolphins minus three and a half all right, last thing to do. Jace, can you reread us those clues for the random Raven? Indeed. So clue number one, the Ravens signed this player as a free agent in March of 2008. Clue number two, the Tuskegee product, who was originally drafted by the Giants in 2003, spent two years in Baltimore, appearing in 29 games with six starts, and he also appeared in all five playoff games the Ravens played in in, that, in those two seasons, which included two more starts. He had two interceptions, 15 pass deflections, two forced fumbles, and 51 tackles across the 2008 and 2009 regular seasons. Clue number four, the defensive back was the most prominent Ravens player to wear number 41 prior to the arrival of Anthony Levine. And then clue number five, the quarterback was at the center of a controversy in 2008 when he was accused of spitting on Pittsburgh Steelers punter Mitch Berger during a confrontation following an extra point. He denied he did the spitting intentionally, dubbing it, quote, a slobber moment. And then he said, yeah, say it, don't spray it. After the kick, he felt like I tried to take his kicker's knee out, and I was just trying to block his kick. The Steelers did not believe his explanation of events. <laughs> Antonio, do you have a guess? I don't. I, like, remember. It's like I can, like, see the player with the jersey on. You know, just spittle, just flying everywhere on every play. Because uh, he was just, just a hard-nosed guy. I cannot come up with a name. This and I'm I am pretty confident here. Again, Mister, give up third and seven on third and six. Mister Frank Walker. Ooh, it is Frank Walker too. Woo! Wow. There we go. That is exactly that dude. Yep. <laughs> Need a stop? Nope. Nope. <laughs> oh, what a pull, Jace! What a pull, Tim and Jace! What a. I'm amazed we haven't done him. Yeah, I, I was I, shocked. What a perfectly random, random, random. I was shocked he wasn't I, I, on the list. I, I combed the list a while back, and I because I'd seen him, you know, in the background, probably giving up a third and eight, as uh, discussed. Uh, uh, I was watching an old Cowboys Ravens game, last game at Texas Stadium, and he was he was in the background, and I was like, oh, that guy. And then I looked, and we hadn't done him, and I was like, wow, he's perfect for this segment. So good pull, Tim Frank Walker, indeed. <laughs> That is fantastic. All right. That is going to do it for us this week. Obviously, the Ravens playing Monday night next week, so we will come to you probably Wednesday morning. We'll see if 
we can we'll see we'll see if we can do something Tuesday, but it'll probably be Wednesday. Uh, hopefully to recap a Ravens primetime victory, guys. They're playing New Orleans this week, three and five. They play Carolina after the bye, two and six. Then they play Jacksonville, two and six. Then they play Mister Limited, three and five. Then they travel to Pittsburgh, two and six. Come on, Ravens! This is the month. November has got to be yours. Time to make a playoff push. Time to make a push for a top seed in the AFC. And hoping it starts on Monday night. For Tim Horsey and Jay Evans, I am Antonio Barbera. Thank you for listening to us on Pod Like a Raven. We will see you in the middle of next week.